0: from multiple mindful locations in minneapolis or near enough this is nice games club the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development i'm ellen burns johnson and i make nice games
1: i'm steve mcgregor and i make nice games and i'm mark McCroy. i too make nice games
0: in this episode we talk about mental health and games with Alana underlin developer on the game call me sarah and so everyone is ready let's start I'm looking for the signal that I got your name right.
2: Yes. (laughs) 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 You said it perfectly. Atlanta Lanier. I know it's kind of a jumble. It sounds like marbles in the mouth, but. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: You'd have a handy uh, uh, advice for people who need to pronounce it, right?
2: Ah, yes. So if you have an American accent, it rhymes with banana. And if you do not, it does not. And for whatever reason, Australians like to be like, actually, it does work because Alana rhymes with banana. And I go, no, it's Alana. (laughs) That's exactly why I have that there for you.
3: What do you tell British
2: people? <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. they also say banana. What's funny is that the it's an Irish name, so okay. not that it matters, but it's a word in Irish. So lanav is baby in Irish, which is an actual language, okay. which most people think is made up and dead. It's not. People speak it. Mm-hmm. And in Ireland, we say ah instead of oh. So if we're going like, oh, sweetheart, we go ah, sweetheart. So if you're speaking Irish and you're going ah, baby, ah, sweetheart, you go ah, lanav. And so it's like a cute pet name, Alana. Oh. And so in my ears, it's like this really lovely pet name. And then like Americans come in and they're like, yo, Lana," And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. So a bit about myself. I am the founder of Team Toadhouse. It is a visual novel indie game studio that focuses on games that destigmatize mental illness or at least aim to. And uh, cover themes of self-care and living authentically. And I'm also a self-care consultant for the industry, so I spread all that knowledge to people like us (laughs) who need it. Because our industry has crunch culture and hustle culture, and it's a very new industry. So a lot of people have uh, not so great habits when it comes to workflow.
3: Yeah, I like. uh, We've talked about crunch culture on the show some uh, a few times before, but Mm -hmm. hustle hustle culture isn't something we really discuss much uh, here. Can you describe a little bit about that? Like what? what
2: that is? I'm unfamiliar with the term. (laughs) So picture Instagram and picture Mm -hmm. Instagram posts that tell you, you know how you said you wanted to speak seven languages and you wanted to own your own business and you said you had no time. Well, remember how we have a global pandemic going on? I guess you just are full of excuses, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And that you don't have like a business because there's a traumatic global pandemic going on you have all the time in the world. It takes like this myth that all you have to do is work really hard and then you'll be successful. So it erases any privileges a person has. It erases any sort of setup a person has. It erases any sort of obstacles a person has and makes it so that if only you worked a little bit harder, you could be a billionaire, but obviously Mm. you're not working hard enough. (laughs) Tell that to a teacher. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a total myth. Like I like to think of it as the, do you know the canary in a coal mine? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if the canary can't breathe, we've got a situation about the environment. We've never asked for a stronger canary. Like we've never been like the canary is not breathing, bring in a stronger canary. Obviously this canary is too weak. We change the environment that the canary is in. So similar to that, we like to think that we're super strong humans, but humans we're made of carbon and we're, Organic beings, and we need rest and water and sunlight, and um, we can't ask people to just continuously just be stronger, just be stronger. If only you hustled more, otherwise you will burn out. Mm -hmm. And then it's it's a it's a marathon, it's a life. You're not supposed to burn out at 25, which a lot of people are doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the quarter life crisis.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it, I believe, goes back to how we portray burnout and how we portray like we were not very kind or sensitive to um how we portray in our media entrepreneurs mentally ill like anything that has to do with taking care of ourselves or being a bit softer is seen as a snowflake thing whether you're watching the news or whether even you're playing video games it's very stigmatized which is mm-hmm. why I do what I do yeah thank you
3: that's, that's a beautiful thing honestly yeah <laughs> thank
2: you so much for that <laughs> Of course, my pleasure. <laughs> I learned it.
3: <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about when approaching this topic in video games, because I, I know that I think in the past, for the most part, we haven't. Video games as a whole has not done a great job appro- uh, approaching mental health. Uh, I wanted to ask, like, what your thoughts are about, like, guidelines to approach that topic.
2: I have many. So, <laughs> one, no what you're talking about so if you so when mental illness shows up in video games in particular i think generally big umbrella they fall under two categories people that meant to make a game about mental illness and people who are using mental illness as like a trope usually horror games Mm -hmm. so first you have to ask yourself why you put mental illness in your game so if you are at a mental asylum and you're like oh because mentally ill people are dangerous and scary maybe ask yourself why you feel the need to do that yeah and why you would take like um there is a stigma that mentally ill people are dangerous we're not we're more likely to be the victim of um assaults we're more likely to be like the victim of things we're more likely to harm ourselves and others right. <laughs> so knowing why you're putting it into the game that way you actually ask the question like do we really need another horror game that takes place in a mental asylum with? S- schizophrenic quote-unquote people chasing Mm. me because it's spooky Mm. that's more of a fear of the unknown and then there's the games that earnestly want to say something about it and those that's when it gets a bit more gray because with those games even the best of intentions sometimes they're misinformed yeah So, for example, I have bipolar disorder. So when the layman person talks about bipolar disorder, they believe that means in the morning, I'm sad, in the afternoon, I'm angry, in the evening, I'm happy, and that my moods switch at the drop of a hat, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not that. What it is, is generally speaking... I have periods of like two, three weeks, and this depends on the person, the periods, but they're long periods. They're not just an hour or five minutes where I am like, everyone is familiar with depression because depression has a lot of media on it right now. So I'm depressed. I can't Mm -hmm. leave bed. I have no energy. Things are very difficult for me. And then it goes through like a stable period where I feel fine. And then there's like a week or a couple of days or maybe depending again of mania. And mania feels like the Best drug ever. You feel like you could do anything, but it gets dangerous because you have a tendency to spend too much money. You have a tendency to be hypersexualized. You have a tendency to think in big ideas. There's been cases of manic people getting on a plane and going to the Middle East and going to the embassy and be like, I have solved the problem in the Middle East. I just mm. need to talk to whoever's in charge here and I will tell you everything I know. That's the people who believe the telly is talking to them, the people who believe that like the newspaper specifically for them. That's where you get into that type of mental illness. So first, if you put bipolar disorder, as an example, into a game and you have the wrong definition of it, well, it may seem harmless, but then when I go to my boss at a day job and I say, hey, I can't come in today, and they go, why? Because this keeps happening and we need, like, you can't keep taking days off Lena. We need to understand what's going on here. And I say, okay, well it's fine. And I'm in treatment. I have to have this whole speech of like, I'm in treatment and I do this and I do that. And this is how I take care of it. But I have bipolar disorder instantly. If I'm in a bad mood, Oh, she's got bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. If someone upsets me and I have a very rational reaction to that interaction. Oh, it's because she's got bipolar disorder because they have the wrong definition. And that's yeah. only pushed by the media and the games and the TV shows that we watch. Sure. So it's like a responsibility that if you're going to have it, you need to have the right definition, not continue that stigma. And it would be great if you could be non-triggering with it. So if you're going to talk about, for example, depression and suicide, if you could not do maybe, like I know Doki Doki Literature Club wasn't trying to educate people on depression and suicide, but it was a very triggering game. So there are some games that want to talk about such topics but they do it in a way that triggers the audience that experience those things so then who are you making that game for are you making it for people who can't like if I have this PTSD thing and I can't play your game about PTSD and I'm not your audience that's confusing
4: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: it's
0: like using mental illness as a spice instead of making games that have people with mental illness in them just like you you know just people yeah treat people like people, treat the stories like human stories. It's not a flavor to be like lathered across the top, like some kind of spicy mayo.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, that's what I think.
0: (laughs) As like a, um,
1: an avenue for humor is where I see it most often. Mm. And I think even in, in attempts to be say self deprecating or self referential, I think those kinds of topics, it, it does make me uncomfortable when I see people being very comfortable using that for comedy. Yes. And um and, and, and people not I don't I don't know because I'm not I don't know enough about what's wrong about that. It just feels like in those particular instances where I see it, I just get really uncomfortable with that. And that the third level of acceptance we have about those sorts of things. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It kind of reminds me, and I promise this will seem like it's out of left field, but I'll land the plane. It reminds me <laughs> of that moment in um oh I'm not a Jane Austen fan, but Emma So her book, Emma, there's one point, Emma, for those of you who read Sparknotes and didn't read the book in high school, (laughs) um, she is very rich, well-to-do, she's looked up to in her society. And there's an older woman who is very enamored with her and likes to talk her ear off about her, I think it's her niece or something. Jane Fairfax or something. So she's always going on Jane Fairfax, Jane Fairfax. And Emma is rather done with this woman, but because polite society, she has to whatever. So they're having a picnic and the, the woman makes some sort of self-deprecating joke of like, um, they say like in a concise way, Make a joke about yourself or something, and she goes, Oh, concise. I've never been concise, and that's fine because she talks about herself. And then Emma, who is the power position in that thing, goes, Yeah, you've never had a concise thought in your life, or something like that.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And everyone turns on Emma, and I think that's a really good example of like if the person is using the humor to talk about themselves, then okay, that's yeah. like gallows humor or whatever. But if you're coming of a position of power or you're not involved then you're actually punching down and that's mm-hmm. not a good look for anyone. So maybe you don't.
3: Yeah, that's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, honestly, that is a good, that's a good perspective of that. Because <laughs> yeah.
0: This episode is about mental health and general life advice. <laughs>
1: well you're not wrong it's it you can you can really generalize a lot of these these tips to other uh elements so we we think a lot like in in our in our society we think a lot about othering when it comes to like uh, gender and race and other sort of like points of differences between people and this really is another one of those and i think people feel like a burden on themselves to like understand the whole concept before they feel they're able to interact with it and i think that can keep people apart a little bit but as long as you have that sort of notion of like Ah, uh, resisting the urge to to use othering language and to always think of empathy, then then you can engage, um, and and use it as an opportunity to, to learn instead of standing back and saying, "I don't know anything about this." I'll either address it in a way that is not insensitive or just not address it at all. Yeah, right.
2: I agree. I think a couple of games that do it really well. There's there's a large gambit, right? So like, Life is Strange is a really good example because they they don't. Other, they they make every person like the the characters with mental illness stuff going on. That's not their only characteristic. They're friends of ours in the game, and we kind of have to walk them through it. I think even it's been a hot second since I played that game, but if I remember correctly, there is a storyline where you can try to walk a person through a low swing moment where they're feeling a little um, self harmy.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: and I feel like that might be very cathartic for a lot of people because it, it gives them a moment like okay so games are about play right and giving <laughs> us opportunities to fantasize so in addition to fantasizing being about a superhero it's nice to have moments where you can almost like you do in therapy walk through different ways you would handle tricky sticky situations in life so that if that comes up you're able to well, this is what worked in the video game, so let me try this mm-hmm. when my friend's coming to me with this stuff. Which is yeah. actually what I'm trying to do in Call Me Sarah too. Call Me Sarah's main game mechanic is a tool I learned in therapy. It's called the spheres of influence, and it's mm. basically about boundaries and good boundaries and how to hmm, how do I put it concisely? So if you're abused or if you're grown, if you're taught bad boundaries for one reason or another you tend to wear your heart on your sleeve and spill your whole life story to a person you've just met, right? People need to earn the right to hear your story. So if you do that, and then your friendship is tested, you're more likely to get hurt because if that test of your friendship fails, they know so much about you. So that's already like a very intimate thing for you. Cause that doesn't necessarily mean that they reciprocated it
4: mm-hmm.
2: and you're left more broken and hurt mourning that small test of a friendship, as opposed to if you start with like small talk and topics that aren't about you, but like about sports or something and you test these little relationships that you have that build up into friendships and you build up trust over time, you're more likely to have deeper relationships and not get hurt so often, not feel burnt so often. So my game's about learning how to do that when you're bad at it. Okay.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Your game's about learning. (laughs) Interesting.
2: Learning and boundaries.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to ask about how you address because like that's a that's a topic that I think you you explained it really, really well. Oh, thank you. But that's something that your game also has to do for the player, is explain that concept to them. Yes. And, and so that puts a burden on you, too, because it's a, it's a topic that, if taught wrong, can be bad, right? True. And so, you know, luckily, you have the expertise and the ability to do that. But literally, how do you make that into gameplay?
2: I made the tutorial level a therapy session. So your oh, therapist yeah. tells you that. That's so cool.
1: That's brilliant. Oh, I love that.
2: <laughs> Thank well,
1: you. Sometimes it just it lines up perfectly, right? This the it, just intuitive answer is the right one. That's
2: great. Yeah, I made it. Uh, there's a therapist in the game. So basically, if you like, there's a four day cycle, if you will. So it takes place over a year, but obviously you don't play all 365 days of the year. So it's like a four day cycle, and then we go through the seasons. And there's eleven. Um, or so like therapy sessions, if you will. So each therapy Mm -hmm. session gives you a little bit of like a tool or an insight on how you then the other three days interact with the people throughout the town. So every fourth day I have like a debriefing at the therapy session with the main character of like, so mm-hmm. how did that go? Did you do well? <laughs> <laughs> Are you making healthy choices? Yeah. And what's unique about Kami Sara as opposed to other visual novels is that many visual novels, especially romantic dating sim visual novels where you're building relationships such as this and that's the gameplay. Um you say the nice thing and you say the good thing and then you get the good ending and you put the nice coins into the friend slot and then you become friends. Yeah. This yep. is not that. This is you have to make the healthy choice. And if you make the healthy choice, that also includes observing how the NPC is reacting towards you and reciprocating that energy. So if they're not like wanting to be your best friend you don't come hard at them with like your life story Mm -hmm. then you get rewards and then you get trophies and then you get the unlockable scenes and such so it's a two way thing it's not just you being healthy but it's also being aware enough which is very difficult for a lot of people and there's even illnesses like autism makes it even more difficult because social cues are difficult for them to pick up Mm -hmm. so it's kind of just like a play space of a game where you can try out different ways to interact And it gives you a numerical system, the spheres of influence, where you can actually in your head assign a number of, well, this person's a three with threes they're my co-workers it's inappropriate for me to talk about this topic it's appropriate for me to talk this, about this topic let me talk about this topic and for a while that's how I had to handle it while I was figuring it out in real life and so I did it and I made it a gameplay system and I literally assigned numbers to the NPCs and that's how I built it
0: <laughs> that's fantastic I mean what you're describing I'm just I'm just completely delighted about what you're describing. This is, this is a game-based learning and this is, you know, one of the things I'm very, very passionate about. And I think what makes Call Me Sarah, as you're describing it, like a good example of game-based learning is the, the dynamics of the game, the mechanics, the dynamics of the game are aligned exactly with the behaviors that you want to get out of it in real life. And the interesting thing is, I you know, in my experience, I work as a consultant mainly. So people come to me and they say, I need to help people learn how to do this. And then I think, okay, what are the dynamics of that? To recreate those as best as we can with the limited time and budget that we have.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but you were able to kind of come at it from the other way. Like I've experienced these dynamics. How do I recreate these in a game um, from your own personal experience? That's, that's very that's very cool.
2: Thank you. I hope I'm successful with it. We'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what else I really like about it is, um, and you described this earlier, that the idea that like um, not all fantasies are power fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that as designers, we tend to, and it, independent of what you're making your game about, um, it's really easy to, to try to abstract away things or, or present, present things in the power fantasy dynamic. And what I like is that you, the way you're describing these, what's happening in this game is that it is ultimately, it aims for the same kind of like satisfaction that the player gets from a traditional power fantasy mechanic without leaning on those things that that can then poison the topic.
2: Yeah, it's very powerful to advocate for yourself and to be able to put boundaries up and hold them properly and realize, oh, this doesn't make people hate me. In fact, this makes like good fences make good neighbors type of a situation. Mm. You don't resent things and you don't like it's life changing. So it is very powerful in a different sense, as you said. And we've also as much as we could try to, instead of making like the adrenaline rush, adrenaline rush power fantasy, we've tried to make it a hopeful story. So at the end, I, if I do it right, the player will put down your controller and feel hopeful. And I think that's really needed right now. So I'm I'm trying really hard.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that is important. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's great because like, I think what I really love about the whole, like the whole thing about it is like, it really does like, mirror what would happen in real life in a way that like you could literally like you would in a movie like i'm thinking for example like a bunch of like you watch a movie sometimes and you see the main character have an interaction and like it ends up being good for them you're like oh i could maybe do that in real life that's what this feels like in a video game and -hmm. that's beautiful because like i want more of those (laughs) moments Yeah. yeah oftentimes uh you know in video games you come up to a thing and you're like oh i don't know how to deal with this then you just slash him with a sword or shoot a gun at him or something. Mm -hmm. That's... (laughs) Can't really do that in
2: real life. <laughs> I think it's really powerful to see yourself in games. So yeah. Sarah is just as neurotic as me. She's very much based on me because, I mean, I have to if it's this intimate of a topic. And so I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks the world hates me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who has panic attacks. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who like is neurotic with anxiety and such. So maybe not everyone has it to the extent that I do because I do have a diagnosable mental illness. But everyone's on a spectrum of something. And so I'm hoping that everyone can see themselves in a, or at least like have one of those, we we like to hate on cringe, but cringe is just being self-aware. So even if they play it and they cringe a little, that means they know what that feels like. And maybe they'll be able to express (laughs) that better.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Oh, I love that so much. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask is like what things, uh, you should try to avoid when talking about mental health. Um, I know that you brought up, um, that, like, you want to try to avoid things that are triggering to your audience. Um, but are there other kinds of things you can try to avoid? I know there's, like, uh, tropes. Harmful tropes.
2: Harmful are, tropes. Yeah. So anything that makes us look dangerous or scary. I have my own little personal soapbox pedestal, which I don't like to get on too often because it's part of the gamer vernacular, I think the word is. The word Triggered. So the word triggered is something that as a person with PTSD, they would use to, so when you get triggered and you have PTSD, it means that you're caught in this like almost like flashback loop, almost like a record. And you can't tell the difference between real life and fake. And you're stuck in this horrible memory. So if something triggers you, like I get triggered with booms. So anytime we order food, my fiance knows to go, okay, expect a boom. And I cover my ears because it will trigger me. it's just something that you learn. uh, We have on all our things, please ring the doorbell. Like we do our best. And it's not like, I'm not going to yell at the person. Like that, that's a symptom for me to handle. You know, I'm not asking the world to be soft towards me because I've got this thing. I navigate the world and try to make it safe for me. So that's not what I'm trying to say. But because I have this trigger, anytime there's a boom, and then if I have a panic attack and a person doesn't understand near me, doesn't understand why this girl's now cowering a corner crying, um, it would be really great if in the utopian future, I could be like, don't mind me. This will last 20 minutes. I do apologize. I am embarrassed about it. But I was triggered. And everything will be fine in 20 minutes. Could I please have some water? But now when I say triggered, people go, oh, she must be slightly upset over a knock. That makes no sense. Like it yeah. just took a word away from me that it used to be very useful.
4: Right. Yeah.
2: It'd be cool if we could stop doing that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I <completely> agree. <laughs> it's, yeah.
1: It's tricky because it, the, when I think the use of that phrase started with maybe the best of intentions to yeah. broaden its use so that more people could access it speaking about a left field, it reminds me of that phrase, fake news mm. yeah. which was also used in a way to educate people as to like media sources and became used as kind of a slur about journalism. Yeah. And so I think that, that phrase triggered is very similar, that even people who are advocates for like expanding the language of mental health uh, to a broader base of people, pe- people who are maybe not necessarily in uh, a, a diagnosable cohort, uh, but people who use those same tools and language to help them in their regular lives that's a good aim but then it has a great potential to be turned into a meme or right. something or, or 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 made so superficial as to uh, sap it of its meaning mm-hmm. I mean is there a solution to that is there even, even um, oh, uh, a, a strategy to move towards a, a way to, to not have that happen in the future I'm asking a big thing right <laughs> now. I'm very curious
4: about your thoughts
2: I think maybe taking proper like start with the diagnosis right because I still see mm-hmm. in games and people who make games using like oh my ocd is acting up i reorganized my library no it's not you felt like organizing or or ooh, this is oh i almost don't want to say this one because it's not a bad word but like it's it's not a good thing to say so when people say oh that's so autistic when they mean like socially and in- after what, like I it's so ugly I'm uncomfortable bringing it up but like that's not yeah. don't don't use it like you want to be you don't want to use the the illnesses and who a part like a thing that a person is dealing with as an insult kind of like how we used to say that's so gay and then yeah. we realized maybe don't take a huge population and just paint it with a that's bad cringe whatever we used to right but, right yeah yeah, it's difficult for me to talk about this. <laughs> no,
4: no, understand.
3: I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Because, like, uh, I mean, there's the N-word, for example. Like, we yeah. stigmatize it to the point where you literally can't say it on the air.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <anymore>. <laughs> unless it's like, you know, unless it makes sense for the time or something like that. I guess we've developed a social uh, system around it so that, like, it is, mm-hmm. it is a stigma to say it, to misuse the word. Yeah. Um, so we just need to do that with other things.
2: Something like that. So that like, if you're saying, oh, I'm feeling so bipolar, the weather was so bipolar. If I hear one more, if I read one more (laughs) sentence about the weather being bipolar, I'm going to scream and pull my hair out. The weather can't be bipolar. If it's a a rainstorm, it's not bipolar. Right. Like, (laughs) if there's a hurricane for a week, maybe, maybe you have an argument. But if it's sunny in the morning and rainy in the afternoon, it's not bipolar. Sorry. That's just Minnesota.
4: (laughs) 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 (laughs)
0: um yeah I mean one test you could do is try to swap it maybe maybe a different mental illness and see if the sprays stand up like no I wouldn't call the weather depressed (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: yeah you could say it's depressing like I feel Mm -hmm. like depressing is a word like there's it's just it's so easy to like adjust it or like okay so what do you actually say the weather's erratic great so erratic you know what I mean
1: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Right. When you use words like that for effect, then sometimes you have to step back and say, well, what's the effect I want to atri- achieve? And can I do that in a way that that does that without uh, leaning on these more insensitive phrases? And I think a lot of people will find themselves being uh, uh, like, oh, now I have to police myself all the time. And well, the answer is yes. But <laughs> on top of that, it's it's not as hard if you educate yourself. Yeah. Then it, then you don't you don't find yourself you find yourself naturally using more. Uh, I guess I want to say sophisticated language, but maybe that's overselling it a little bit.
2: Specific, maybe
1: finding yourself not falling into those traps.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah agree.
3: Making sure that you know what the word means you're saying is important. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll find myself sometimes like, repeating things that I see on the internet. So just because like, I don't know what it means fully. Um, and mm-hmm. then when I learn about what it means, I will make the judgment on whether or not I will continue to use that language.
2: And that's a good right. thing because there's yeah. nothing wrong with learning something new and then changing your behavior. That's a right. good thing. Mm-hmm. More that of that thing. would be great. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And if we don't if we don't make sure that people are, know that they're able to change and grow, then they will dig in because they don't want to admit their mistake.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. There's practice with any behavior change. You have to you have to do it, you have to reinforce it, and you do that enough, it'll become automatic. And I think there is nothing wrong with asking for some grace while you are in the process of acquiring that behavior and making it automatic like you screw up you apologize you want to get better and sometimes people might not be in a space where they can give you that grace then you can give them some
2: Mm -hmm. move
0: on keep practicing and everything will be fine
2: well said yeah i agree completely especially if it's something new especially if like because there is a huge stigma so if you grew up in a family where it was pansy to go to therapy or if it was like, Oh, they must be like, I, even my own family is not very good about it. Like they, they they're very uncomfortable with the fact that I'm so open about this. And they're very uncomfortable with the fact that I go to therapy and I have to like be very cautious with how I speak about it around them. And I have to use euphemisms. They're, they're getting there. And shing, slowly, But like, it is understandable if you grew up thinking something is bad, 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 whether it's mental illness or any sort of uh, old fashioned way of thinking. And now you yourself have to come to terms with one, maybe your family or the way you're raised is not exactly ideal. And you have to decide to change. It's a lot of effort that we're asking for people. So I think giving people grace when they're, showing effort is very important
3: yeah right if the intent is there then it
5: mm.
2: uh, i totally hear what you're saying lana about
0: like your family being uncomfortable with it i was fortunate enough to have like my family helped me um get help when i was first diagnosed with depression they helped me go to therapy let me go at my own pace let me you know Deal with medication, and they were very, very supportive. But with my in-laws, who probably don't listen to this podcast, but if you do, happy to talk about it, guys. um <laughs> It's just not something that it doesn't feel comfortable yet, and I. It's just not something that's often talked about in their family. It's not because that they aren't they don't want to be supportive. It's just they don't have the practice, you know.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if we were to come up with it, you know, they, it would probably be a little awkward and push
2: through it yeah Mm -hmm. and to go back to your previous question then a way that we as game developers could help situations like yours is by making sure that we don't add more tropes to our games and by making sure that if a person does have some sort of a symptom or illness that they take the appropriate steps so there is a good example for people to follow like oh, so-and-so in this game went to therapy and it seemed fine, rather than like, the, I think one of the worst things you could do is portray therapy incorrectly, because a lot of p- people and games and TV shows do that, where the person does make the the attempt to get help, and then they're like, like one flew over a cuckoo's nest, like they're tied down and forced mm-hmm. ECT, and they're forced yeah. pills, and they're tortured and like who wouldn't who wouldn't be scared of reaching out for help if that's what you get. Right. Yeah. So being aware that kind of like representation of anyone, right? Like Steven Universe is doing a great job of showing representation of non-binary people, to the point that if you tell a kid who watched Steven Universe, oh, our friend goes by they them pronouns, it don't say she, say they. They go, oh like Stefani, done. The end because they've seen it before. Mm -hmm. So, as people who make media, it's part of our responsibility to not only make sure that we're harming, but if we could promote better things, kind of like how Steven Universe is doing for the LGBT community. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Because I think we talk a lot about how it's often the burden of the, of, um, of those who are are being othered to be the educator also. Yeah. And that grace that you say that people need to provide, that's advice to people who are being attacked and being oppressed. And like it's hard, it's like it's hard for them to be like, well, and now I'm supposed to give grace. And so <laughs> and, and it's good, it is good advice, but it's also a lot to ask of people. Mm-hmm. And so you said it, it's our responsibility as artists to provide other ways for people. To know know these things about the people in their life and in their society Hmm. Um, so that, yeah, so that it doesn't have to be so difficult to move people along.
2: It also gives a good responsibility to point to. Like there's an Australian comedy show called Please Like Me that when I was trying to explain what bipolar disorder actually is to my fiance, I gave him books. He doesn't like to read. I gave him this. I gave him that. And I was like, okay. Every day at dinner, we watch a TV show, right? We're watching Please Like Me because the creator of that show, his mother has bipolar disorder. And so his mother in the show has bipolar disorder. And it's the most accurate representation, the most accurate and like not good, not bad, just truthful representation of bipolar disorder I've ever seen. So of course I love it because I feel seen when I watch it. I'm like, yes, that's exactly (laughs) how it is. Um, But I can also point to that to other people when they, they don't understand, they have the wrong definition, and go, okay, it's a really funny show. It's a really well done show. It's a really great show. You'll like it. Also, pay attention to the mother's behavior, and then maybe you'll understand why what you said was upsetting.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking that was actually kind of a nice segue into a topic we sort of kind of skipped over, and that was men- examples of mental health depicted in games. I think we talked about a couple examples, but it'd be nice for a few minutes if we could really... Give, give people more things to add to their
2: backlog sure so yeah, yeah. Celeste is very great um, mm-hmm. because it's uh, it's it's like a journey of mental illness right they climb up the mountain and they go through the personal challenges so that's like a very nice metaphorical one as well as gree uh, does the similar thing so those like if you're into the indie artsy type aspect of it um i like pointing people to night in the woods because it's Mm -hmm. very accessible it's good game and it captures that like bored in a small town hanging out with your friends got nothing else to do energy really well which i feel like a lot of people can relate to um and there's a lot of mental illness symptoms in that game without Mm -hmm. any character being like this is the bipolar character this is the character with depression it's just how people are coping and how they're driven by their personalities
0: Mm -hmm. you're never given it that this character has this diagnosis and this character has this diagnosis it's just people being people i mean they're animals but they're people (laughs)
2: yes (laughs) and a cat (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think uh hellblade is also uh, a good one that people bring up because Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. Um, It tries really hard to accurately portray psychosis. So I feel like it's difficult to portray because there are scary parts of mental illness that if you don't have the words to describe them to a person who doesn't know what that, they might, it might put them off. They might be like, that sounds terrifying. You, you guys are dangerous, obviously. And I think Hellblade managed to take that psychosis experience and not make it that, what was her name? Sasuna? Or I forget the character's Sanabar? name, but like that she Sanabar. was dangerous. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. you know, it was more of like the experience. So anything that infuses uh, empathy for the person going through it.
1: Yeah. I think a hallmark of some of the examples you had are ones where the designers put, uh, um, at least the interviews I've read with those, uh, they put in some research. And I think it's, it's up to players and it's up to critics to sort of evaluate, you know, how successful. But the key thing they all started with was like, I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to make this a real part of it. I think Hellbraid's a great example. They, they you know, they, they hired on mental health professionals to really like help them along and to test and make sure that it was working. Um, and like all pieces of art, the people will, you know, the, like I said, the level of successful, um, you know, there's no objective correct. Um, and the reason I mention that is because I, I, I've always had difficulty with Celeste because of the way it presents the sort of mirror as sort of like a hidden monster. Yeah. And I, I, I personally find that I don't like that, but at the same time, that's, it, that's not my definition of like, of, of like how, like I handle depression. Um, and so like, I don't see myself in there, but I, but I have to listen to other people who say that's exact. It's so perfect. And so, it, um, so, so, but what's common to that and Celeste is a great example of like, people who really took it seriously mm-hmm. and really like they were not like this or, or not even just saying this is my experience, I will depict it, but like putting in the work to present uh, their view and their um, like uh, their knowledge and then and, and teaching others, not just their experience alone. And so I have a lot of admiration for it, even if I didn't really respond to it very well. Um, but yeah, all those all those examples are ones where people just they put in the work. <laughs> yes. and that's what's required. Right?
2: And isn't it wonderful that we're getting to the point that we have so many representations of depression that you found one that you don't identify with, and that there's just <laughs> yeah, like right. different yeah. versions? Isn't that yeah. so cool?
0: That's a really good point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we could we could always use more. And I think I think you know, uh, as games grows as a medium, we can we can have games that are not about mental uh, illness or about mental health have those elements in there, mm-hmm. like. They don't. Games don't. Game, we're well past the point of games having to be about one thing anymore. Yeah. Yes. And and so and, and even those examples are not all only about those things. Right. They're they're rich, full experiences. Yes. All together. And so, it, I, it's an optimistic time, and hopefully, we'll see more. Right.
2: Optimistic and hopeful. Including,
1: Call Me Sarah.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which the main game is to make friends, and the anxiety just happens to be the obstacle. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, so, uh, uh, before we move on to the next topic, I do want to give you an opportunity to uh, to uh, to really get uh, uh, get into our listeners' heads. Like, when's it coming out? What platforms are you're planning? Like, pitch it a little bit. I think.
2: <laughs> oh, you I'm learned that. so bad at that. This week has been really opening <laughs> my eyes of how much I'm really needing to be better about pitching and. Vertical slices and all that stuff. <laughs> I hear the word vertical slice one more time. <laughs> um, this week was a big growing week for me as uh, the producer-director part of indie game development. Before I've worked on my friend's games, it's the first time I've been like the head of it. Mm, and uh, yeah. I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. But basically, it's, it's coming out, I don't think we can say it, but less than two years from now. That's safe enough to say. Mm-hmm. And we're currently in talks with funding and publishers and stuff to decide exactly where, but I personally would love to see it obviously on PC, but if uh, Nintendo could hit me up, I want that switch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I would love to see another visual novel that's healthy about mental health on switch. I think it's a really good like way we're making it in run which I know works really well with that port. Mm. It's what else can I say about it? Basically it's really story rich. Uh, the characters. We had to add straight people to this town for diversity last week because we realized we didn't have any straight people in our game. No. <laughs> Everything <laughs> was LGBT. <laughs> not a bad place to be. At. Right. We yeah. were going through our character list, and we're like, "Did we not put any white straight people in this game?" <laughs> So if you're into that, you'll probably like it. We kept um, people who have kids and jobs in our minds and made it. So we're trying to keep it under eight hours. That way you can like sit down for an evening or an afternoon or like one week and finish it. It's not like a long drawn out thing. Oh my God. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I feel you. (laughs) We're trying to make sure that we put like a journal into it so you can like remember and catch up to where you were at and what you've learned about each character uh no promises in that when i'm doing my best (laughs) there's a lot to balance (laughs) but like i i just want you to pull come away from the game feeling hopeful feeling you can do it and i know a lot of people forgetting about mental illness forgetting about anxiety forgetting about all that a lot of people struggle with making friends as an adult We, in school, are with the same 20 classmates and the same 100 classmates, if that's your graduating class, for 12 years or for five years if you only go to high school or, like, whatever your situation. And simply by seeing the same people over and over and over again, we become friends with them. Not necessarily Mm -hmm. because we even like them, but because we both are in theater and we both have English at two, and so we become friends. And then at work, we become friends with our coworkers because we see them absolutely every day. But to make friends as an adult outside of work with no school is incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. people have careers people have jobs and and everyone's got their own junk because when you're grown you have to like then go to therapy to deal with everything you learned in in high school and your childhood (laughs) stuff so to like show a good example of like at least a template of how to start to healthily make long lasting relationships as an adult and how to handle rejection and things like that. I'm hoping my game will help people with, I hope I'm being articulate with this. I'm very bad at this. No, I, <laughs>
3: I'm sold already. <laughs> game that teaches me how to make friends? I need that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm like, this This is a game that can save us. We need this.
1: <laughs> no pressure. Also,
0: it reminded me of that thing that Yoda said. You must unlearn what you have learned. Yes!
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I should also probably mention, it's Sarah S... Or not S, I always do that. C-E-R-A. So if you're Googling... Call me C E R A, so not S A R A. C E R A. Call me Sarah. We'll we'll
3: have links in the show notes for people. Cool. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Twitter! Twitter! That's a fun thing. People like that, I think. I like using it every once in a while. You know what else is cool on Twitter? Nice Games Club. Uh, Dale was graciously That's me. To
5: Hi, guys. <laughs> oh, snap. Dale, you're here. Dale. <laughs> Dale. Not on Twitter, but in real life. Yeah, I'm here. Mark went to the bathroom, so I thought I'd pop in. <laughs> Dale, you didn't hijack
1: my show, did you? <laughs> <laughs>
5: I run the Nice Games Twitter because nobody else would. When I I told you guys to post stuff to Twitter, you'd always forget. We'd go to a movie together. I'd like, post this picture to Twitter. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. At least I do a semi-good job of that. I also retweet (laughs) things from the game development community.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of cute posts and stuff about, like, dogs and turtles.
5: Yeah, I sometimes I can't help posting cute (laughs) animals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like to keep the Nice, nice Games Club at Twitter nice. So you will see lots and lots of positive things. Retweets from devs of projects they're working on or tips they have for, you you know, working in unity or how they got their career started in games. It's all good stuff. Uplifting all around.
3: Yeah, it's great stuff. Beautiful stuff. Cute stuff. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> You can follow us at Nice Games Club on Twitter.
4: Um
3: okay so I wanted to ask you about mental health in the game development side of it so like outside of the screen how yes. how we are experiencing it um I wanted to uh, ask like how what that looks like what what things to look for for people i think like we were talking we talked a little bit about crunch culture We talked a little bit about um that kind of thing um but i wanted to ask like i guess more specifically like how you as a developer can work to promote good mental health in your workplace
2: good question so um first it kind of depends on if you're a studio if you're an indie studio if you're so my my knowledge is mostly based on indie studios but even mm-hmm. that can vary depending on if you're a solo dev or if you've got a team of twelve or if you've got a team of fifty. Yeah. So ignoring solo devs for a moment, sorry everyone. Your <laughs> your studios, um it starts from the top, right? So a lot of um indie studios will call me in and be like, okay, so we hear you, mental health, I'm on board. Yes. How, what do we do? I told my people that they can leave at five. I told my people that they don't need to crunch. I told my people this. I told my people that, well, you as the head of your studio need to be a role model for that. So if you're staying at se- till seven, they're going to stay till seven. No one wants to be the first one to leave the office. You're going to have to model that behavior. You're going to have to leave at five. And when people go, "Oh, I just have one more thing to catch up, you have to say. I love you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that you're, you're so passionate about this game, but we need you in the long run. It's five o'clock. You've got five minutes. Wrap it up. You need to go home and have dinner with your family and go for a walk. There's Radio Taizo, which is a, originally an American concept, I believe it or not, but it's a Japanese concept, which, um, you can, you can look on YouTube for it. It's a two minute, calisthenics exercise where every morning and then every day after work, I do them. And then they also play on telly in, uh, in Japan on their public access television. Um, it's just like, you know, general exercises, but it's really great for desk working. So that way you don't have injuries in your shoulders, like, especially right at the shoulder, like where for women, where your bra strap hits, it's the, uh, W A (laughs) S D muscle That gets tight from pressing WASD and from the arrow keys on the side. Mm. Um, we have muscles that we use, and we think that we're, because we're gamers, uh, well, the non-athletic gamers, that we don't need to take care of our bodies, that we just sit at desks. But we really do need to stretch, and we need to stretch our wrists, and we need to at least do something like radio tiso, like a two-minute calisthenic every morning and every day after work to keep our bodies going, as well as the whole drinking water and General human maintenance.
3: Making sure to eat and rest and all that. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. There are some vegetables on your plate, like right. the normal. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would start with management. Tell them they need to be the role models for it. Okay. Often they're surprised to hear that. They're like, but I don't ask them to. Well, it's it's we're social creatures, right? We. Look around us for social cues. So, if you go home at five and everyone else stays till six, not only is there a little bit of a FOMO, but you also feel like you're not pulling your weight. And in an industry that is built on passion and hustle, and you're so lucky to be in this industry, you could be right. doing something boring. You're a game dev. How lucky are you? You get to play games all day and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really important that the management shows that behavior beyond just saying it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you aren't asking with your words, you are asking with your actions, which are more powerful. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that's... we talked on the show before that it's it's not always that example you said is not always um, like a pressure thing. It's not like, oh, the boss is staying late. I better stay late too, or else he'd be mad. It's more like uh, just setting the tone that like, oh, the boss is staying late and, and getting some stuff done. That sounds fun.
4: Yeah, know, right. Yeah. And
1: so that then you you do it to yourself. And I've made the point before and I think a lot of people when they talk about crunch and unhealthy work environments they talk about like villains and about uh, and you know about evil and and so, but a lot of times it's just and so it was like oh it's not my work because we're all nice people mm-hmm. and like we get plenty of vacation days like but that's not but then you really examine it and you're like oh this actually has a lot of those signs how how did that happen we don't have any villains here and that's maybe one of the reasons why it's so pervasive
2: yeah and I'm guilty of it too I as a studio head, I need to be better about it and take my own advice. And I do try to, and it's, I think, important to say I fail at this too. And I get paid to tell people this stuff, but I catch myself sometimes I'll have a thought because yay, bipolar disorder. I 3am and I'm like I'll just write it in our discord really quickly I have to stop doing that because it's setting the idea that at 3am they need to read and I even like I do my best like in caps like don't read this until the morning but of course they're going to and then they're they're reading messages I need to stop doing that I'm working on it sorry team toad house (laughs) I'm working on it Heather I'm working on it Kirk I apologize I'm so sorry but I like on Saturdays too I'll be working on something because you're excited about it as you said you want to be working on this i'm really excited about this game i enjoy working on it and then Mm -hmm. i'll think of this small little thing and i'll message heather our artist and then i'll realize 20 minutes after like oh it's saturday and that was a work-related thing and it's even more difficult because heather and i are actually friends so we'll be talking about her dog and she just moved and we're talking about her furniture and then i'm like by the way do i do this with this or do you need this sprite anyway how's your cat so i slip it in and i need to stop doing that Mm -hmm. i'm working on it But it's things like that where it it, we have such an informal, casual industry that it's Mm -hmm. very difficult to shut it off when you're working with your friends and you're working on something that you love.
3: Right. Yeah. And it's even more difficult now because we're all working from home. It's like, well, for me, like I've talked (laughs) about this on the show before, but like for me, it was easy enough for me to just turn work stuff off because I would just leave the office and then I didn't have to think about it. Even if they messaged me like I don't have to get back to them because they don't know what I'm doing. Um, but now they always don't know what I'm doing. So like, it feels like, it feels like I always have to sort of be on in yeah. case something goes off or if something goes wrong. And so like, it's more difficult to set those boundaries. It's more difficult for me to establish, uh, you know, a, a break
2: Yeah. Um, from things. And that yeah. brings me to the next thing I tell them. And this also, now we can solo devs. Welcome back. <laughs> you <too. laughs> You need office hours. Even Mm -hmm. if you're a solo deaf, you need office hours. They, you, if you are your own boss and you're fortunate to do that, they don't need to be nine to five, but they need to be reasonable. You need to almost put yourself on both sides of the labor conversation and advocate for yourself of like, well, I don't think I should be working more than eight hours a day. And then, but you're really excited about it and almost have this like internal conversation until you get to a point where you feel comfortable with it, that you know is healthy. Yeah. That way you don't burn out. And I also recommend having, I love routines. So back when I was very sick, like six years ago or so, I was very, very sick because of my mental illness. And I was a big mess. And what kind of saved my life not to be dramatic was routines. So I had a big board, almost like in kindergarten that I made for myself. And I would like put a little smiley face and I did something and it could be for the, obviously it's not for everyone, but for me, it was like, brush your teeth, take your meds, get out of bed, make your bed, put on your shoes, things like that, that I had to like incrementally make sure you eat at least once a day, then at least twice a day and work up to normal human behavior. Um, (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if you have a routine where in the morning, I'm not saying you have to put on real clothes, you can have work pajamas, but get out of your pajamas into your work pajamas take a shower even if it's a sink shower even if you just like take a face cloth and kind of like freshen up brush your teeth do your hair and then put on your work pajamas okay I'm ready for work or at, at the end of the day Shut down your computer, dust the front of like I like to clean up, so I like dust my desk and that's like my mental okay, my desk is dusted, I can't put anything on it now. I cleaned it, it would ruin Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) So whatever you need to do to convince yourself of that. And then for some people who are struggling with transitioning from a real office to working at home, I suggest for them to have a commute. So that could be a shower that could be after work they go for a 10 minute walk and then they come back home that could be one person literally just goes outside takes a deep breath and then goes through his front door so he just like leaves his apartment yeah breathes comes back in and that's just enough of a transition for him if you're used to a certain thing you need to kind of still have that in your routine so whatever yeah. works for you that also helps not only with the transition but with keeping those office hours and not having it bleed yeah. into your rest time yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, if you can have that commute, then maybe podcast listenership will go back up. So, <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> That's been a thing. Every all podcasts are like 25, 30 percent listenership drop. It's the weirdest, weirdest phenomenon. Yeah. And it's, it's reflected in our numbers, too. And it's like, wow, we really are just people's like feeling dead air. Like, <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, you know, a 20 minute walk. That seems <laughs> probably pull that off.
4: Uh huh.
1: I, w- I want to ask you about because, like, some of the like you like you say, like find a way to 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 get that. set. I think that's very uh, helpful for people transitioning. I- I'm speaking of someone who's I've worked from home more often than I've not worked from home. So those examples aren't don't always going to work for me, but I need I need to find other things that that can get me through the day and make me work well and keep me like you know uh, from spiraling away. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you if it's not the traditional replicating a nine to five work environment, um, or even the variations thereof. Uh, how do you find those things that, and how do you know that you found them?
2: Um, trial and error. When it works, it will feel really good, and you'll go to bed feeling like really satisfied. Like you'll you'll sleep really well. You'll feel really good. It will just be like an inner peace of mind. What works Mm -hmm. for me, because I'm like you, I've been freelance. I was an actress before I switched to game dev. So I've never had a nine to five. I think I had a nine to five one day. And I was like, no, thank you. And I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I know this is audio, so you can't see this, but I have these beautiful hourglasses. That's pretty. Isn't it pretty? Yeah.
3: Can we get a picture of that maybe? Is that okay?
2: (laughs) Where did you get it? Um, I got these ages ago. I don't remember. But this one's 30 minutes. And then I have this lovely one that's five minutes. So mm-hmm. I have it set up that I've determined that I can do anything for 30 minutes. So, when I need to do a task, when I'm, like, noticing that I'm on Twitter or YouTube too much, or I'm playing a game and it's no longer research. now it's split into, like, I'm playing this game. Yeah. Um, Because that's another thing, as game developers, playing games can be research, and that's a very tricky, like, all right, am I actually researching
3: I've fallen in that trap before
2: (laughs) (laughs) wait there's a line I said I'd play a half an hour to see how they handle this particular intense emotional moment now that moment was three hours ago (laughs)
1: yeah those ten hours Steven you and I played Civ (laughs) 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 Mm -hmm. you can write that off your tab Uh
2: (laughs) Oh, yes. <laughs> Precisely. So timers are really important. I like the hourglass one because it's pretty to look at and that, I don't know, it does something for me. But timers on your phone, kitchen timers, tea timers, so How like, find maybe 15-minute spurts or sprints, whatever they call them, half an hour, hour, whatever mm-hmm. works for you to like get in a flow and not feel like you're... Uh, you know when you, you start to like you, you find yourself going to Twitter, YouTube, just like get me out of anything. I will do literally anything other than what I'm doing. That's <laughs> usually the moment where you need a break. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you right, right, right. time it, so you realize you have that. So set a timer. And then when you get to that, stop your timer and be like, okay, so I hit that wall at 45 minutes. Let me take a break and let me do it again. And then time again and then time again until you find out like I did half an hour. I'm good. 40 minutes. I'm on Twitter. So do it on Twitter. Whatever works for you, mm-hmm. spurts or whatever. Some people... Yeah. Chris DeLeon, he's the uh, founder of Home Team Game Dev. He He's really into stoicism. Mm. Mm, yeah, stoicism. And what he does is he has a whiteboard that's like the size of a notepad. And he writes whatever task he's supposed to be focusing on at that moment. So let's say he's like coding the inventory system. So he'll write code inventory system and he'll put it on his desk. And every so often, because it's right there, he'll look at it and then he'll look at what he's doing. And if it's not that, then he goes back to that. So he gives himself like a, a reminder of, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be working on.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: He also has a screensaver set up or something on his computer where if you, cause he doesn't go on social media on his computer, he only goes on his phone. Mm-hmm. So if the screensaver pops up, that means he's been on his phone and probably on social media and probably for 10 minutes. And so that's his reminder of like, oh, it felt like 30 seconds was 10 minutes my screensaver came up back to work. So you mm-hmm. kind of just find whatever works for you and your personality.
0: Well, and the, the systems you're describing also are a way of kind of removing some of the cognitive load of self-monitoring. Yes. So... You know, self monitoring, everything takes energy. Your brain is a very energy intensive part of your body. Um, and your body has evolved lots of shortcuts to make it so you make sure it doesn't have to work too hard because it sucks up so much energy. But then, you know, you end up doing weird things like forgetting what you came into a room for or not remembering numbers or not remembering names or forgetting what day it is, all kinds of weird stuff. So the, like the systems you're describing are great ways of kind of basically outsourcing some of that mental effort. Mm-hmm. And then you have more brain juice to burn on other fun things.
2: Yeah. Spoons, if you will, as the disabled community calls it. You have more spoons to allocate to other places. Yeah.
0: Wow. Hm.
1: Those timer methods and like the, uh, that example from Chris, the, like those particular last set of, of tools seem really useful for solo devs who have a lot on their plate, yes. a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily always, if you're doing it right, more work, but lots of different types of work. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, like Ellen was saying, self-managing, it's not just about your time, it's just about your stack of, of you know, to-do is is different and wild and changes day-to-day, week-to-week. Mm. And so, um, yeah, having, a like, some sort of system, even if it feels artificial, can really, yeah, can get you sort of through that to-do list a little bit more efficiently.
4: Yes. Um. Speaking of systems, mm. go
2: ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think kindergarten teachers are great at that. If you want an inspiration looking at kindergarten teachers. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Everything's visible. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
0: Well, I was thinking like uh, in, uh, you know, one of the things that Mark just just mentioned that, um, you know, your to-do list is going to vary from week to week. But another thing I've noticed, at least for myself, is that my capacity from week to week is also changed, also changes. And, so I've done, you know, I picked up some apps like um, Dailyo is like a daily micro journaling app. I have it on Android, and it, like you, you can open it up, press a couple buttons, and log down the activities you want to track, and then you're done. Um, you can write a couple, like a few sentences about what you did that day, and you know, in using that for a couple of years now, I've noticed that like there are certain predicates to certain feelings. So you know, if I if I'm noticing that I'm just like not able to really get started on the things that I'm usually really getting start, like, excited about, then I'm getting a little burnt out and it's time to take a break. Yes. And that's, um, it's good to, you know, I think it's good to like get data on yourself because then you can see trends in the data and then you can, you can adapt to that. You know, there's no one size fits all routine that's going to fit everybody, their ideas, and you can test them out on your own life.
2: Yes. See what happens. I agree completely. That f- follows both the spoon theory that the disabled community uses, which is every day you wake up with a certain amount of spoons, and every mm-hmm. activity takes a certain amount of spoons, mm-hmm. and every day your amount of spoons will be different. So you're right. Um, it falls into what I love to advocate about, which is just self awareness and knowing yourself and knowing what your triggers are and knowing what your how you react to ways and being able to realize when you're feeling such a way it follows what I had to do with bipolar disorder because it is a mood disorder. So I have had to at least, and now I'm better about it. So I don't have to do it so granularly now, but track my moods and realize, Oh, I just ordered 20 bucks of stuff on Amazon at 3am mania is coming. Take my credit card away. I can't do this. Lock down my social media. I've got contingency plans for every, for my high swings and for my low swings. That way I don't hurt myself, whether physically or socially or emotionally during what are symptoms. That's how I navigate that. Mm -hmm. And, Oh, there was another thing that you, you reminded me of that had to do with solo devs. It will come to me. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) I mean, we can take a beat. Um, we, we, we edit the podcast. Yeah. I want to take a minute to think of it. It's not live.
2: Cool. That's true. I I (laughs) forget that not everything's live because of freaking Twitch. (laughs) I'm so used to being in that mindset.
1: One thing I've learned from Twitch that's been weird for me is because we're used to, um, we you know we do edit the show, but we also know that that uh, we want to edit the show as little as possible. We just so we we try to do the live to tape, right? But I on Twitch the because I'm watching Twitch now more because everybody is. Yeah, I'm like, oh, people are happy just to sit in silence for 45 seconds or just like repeated ums for like. Oh, it doesn't... None of it
4: matters.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's my whole stream. My whole... Have you ever watched any of my streams yet? They're just quiet. Mm -hmm. They're called cozy streams. I've been doing them for like eight years now. People love them because they think of your normal stream with everything popping in your face and all this. Yeah. I've disabled all of that. I play calming music half the time. I'm not even on camera. We have book club <laughs> where literally you show up to whatever book that you're currently reading. I go, does anyone like in a discord server, right, Does anyone want to say hi? And if they do, they say hi. And I give them 30 seconds to like shout themselves out or not. And if not, I go great. Well, I'm setting the timer for an hour, enjoy your tea and enjoy your book. And we literally like, I get, 15 people every Monday watching me, watching the tree outside my house and the breeze going, just reading whatever book they're reading. We're not even reading the same book, just for an hour at the same time each week. People need the the silence. I'm in.
4: 16.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, we'll take that part and edit it back into the show. (laughs)
2: I remembered what I was going to say, what you reminded me of. Oh, perfect. Cut it back in. (laughs) (laughs) Burnout. It's also a good way to know burnout, as you said, because the first Mm -hmm. symptom of burnout is feeling cynical. So if you start to feel cynical about your work or if you start to feel, um, hopeless or like what I do doesn't matter or what's the point? Why would I even bother editing this? No one cares anyway. Or what what would I do this for? What would I do that for? That is the first little canary in a coal mine of burnout. And that's when you really need to stop with the myth of you can power through it and take a break because your you're, stitch in time saves nine, right? You take a break yeah. then and you're good. You wait too long and then you can end up literally in the hospital. And I want to emphasize that you can go to the hospital for stress-related heart conditions when it comes to especially solo game devs. The head devs of two of the games I worked on previously ended up in the hospital because oh, wow. of stress. Don't do it. Just take a break.
0: Don't wait for a stronger canary. Listen to the first canary. Yeah. First canary's name is cynicism. (laughs)
4: Yes.
1: (laughs) And I think that's important to know know now because the world is so different at this moment. Mm -hmm. And this is timeless advice. But also, even people who feel well-versed in in like they feel like they know themselves and they feel that they know their limits. Um, Things are different now. And you kind of need to step back and maybe make sure you're, Still doing that analysis, yeah, uh, to recognize those uh, those warning signs that you've brought up already. Yeah.
0: What about um, recognize? So you know, self monitoring, self awareness, um, mindfulness is like the cornerstone of you know mental health. But also like community and helping others. So like, how do you you know do you watch for these things? We're not supposed to, you know, you have this all this social pressure not to be burnt out. We have all this social pressure to hustle. To, to grind and to achieve and achieve and achieve and to show up and fight, um, even when it can be when you're just completely emotionally spent or burnt out. So I, I imagine that for a lot of people, it's, it's counter to their nature to try to show their own stress. So okay. people try to hide it. So how how do you help the people around you be comfortable sharing that? Like, how do you, if you're you're worried about someone because of, you know, what what are you watching for? When should you be worried? And if you are worried, how do you approach it with them?
2: I do it by being a role model as much as I can. So on social media, if you go through my Twitter, you'll see that it's very honest. When I have a low swing, I go, well, going into a low swing. Or if I have a high swing or a manic, I say, well, this happened. and, And so I'm manic. I talk about when I feel burnt out, I take breaks and I tell my community, like on my Patreon, I took July off and I just said, all right, time to follow my own advice. And I posted that lovely quote from Kiki's delivery service that Ursula says that like, if you can't fly, just stop flying. And one day you'll be flying again or whatever. That's a paraphrase and a bad paraphrase, but um, (laughs) I actively follow my own advice. That was, that's one, two, I give the mods in my community. I've created a community around me between my Twitch streams and discord and everything else I do. And I've given my mods agency and encouraged them when they have any sort of feelings like that to not overshare. I absolutely want to emphasize not overshare. No one's a therapist. I have it all over my discord. No one here is a a mental health professional. So don't treat this as therapy. But If you're having a bad day and you need someone to check in on you, we have a channel for that. It's called Wellness Check-In that you can go in and be like, I'm having a low day. Can someone like if I don't show up tomorrow, if I'm not online tomorrow, can someone just like ping me and say hi and send me puppy gifts or whatever? Creating a space for people to be vulnerable without feeling vulnerable, to feel safe, to say things without judgment, to then not yourself when someone approaches you to not be their therapist, but just validate their feelings. I think a lot of us are problem solvers. And so when a person comes to us and be like, yeah, I'm feeling really burnt out, we sometimes might have a tendency to be like, well, when that happened to me, this is what I did. Or you know what you should do? You should do this. Meanwhile, rather than doing that, what we really should be doing is working with people where they are and saying, that sounds really tough. Is there any, do you need something? Is there anything I can do? Do you want to talk about it? Or do you just want to like, did you just want to tell me like what, try to suss out what that person needs in that moment us ourselves try to be better at telling people what we need because humans aren't mind readers as much as we like to say we are. So I don't know what you need when you're feeling a certain way, but I can go to you and be like, Hey, um, your energy feels different. It feels maybe low or something. I hope you don't mind me reaching out to you, but like you need something. Can I get you something? Here's a puppy gift. I send a lot of puppy gifts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It works. I'm not a therapist, but they can't hurt.
2: (laughs) 10 out of (laughs) 10. So being aware, um, being mindful not to play armchair therapist, but to just see the person for where they're at and also recognize that people handle things differently. So if you do everything right and you approach a person and you're kind and you're like, hey, I just wanted to say hi, or hey, I was thinking of you and I just wanted to let you know, You were on my mind. I saw this thing. It reminded me of you. Hope you're doing well. Little things like that. That way people know that line of communication is open. I much prefer that over the... uh, Every time someone kills themselves, the twitter blast of the suicide hotlines and the my dms are always open want to know something my dms aren't open because i'm not your therapist and i can't do that i can't give you that energy i'm sorry i've created a community where there are people who if they have the energy they will reciprocate when i have the energy i will reciprocate but if you dm me and say i'm feeling like i might hurt myself. Unless you're a friend of mine, like oh, that's, that goes back to call me Sarah and the spheres of influence and the boundaries, mm-hmm. a one or a two, this, uh, once you play the game, you'll understand these numbers. I'm so sorry. This might sound <laughs> like weird, but a one or a two on that list. A one, absolutely. I'll be like, you, I'll come over where, like where are you at? I will pick you up a two. I'll be like, yeah, let's talk about it, whatever. But a three or a four, which a lot of Twitters are Twitter people are three or four. We don't really know each other. Right. Mm-hmm. So if they tell me that they're going to be self-harming, which a lot of people feel safe telling me that because they know that I'm vulnerable myself, and so it's almost like a power social thing, I do say, like, thank you for sharing. I want to honor that you shared that with me. That said, I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm not your therapist. So uh, here's a hotline, and that's when I give away the hotlines, when someone approaches me. But I feel like just blasting out, my DMs are always open, is dangerous, that's my opinion
1: mm-hmm. but yeah yeah well, i think people want to be able to offer help but they don't always know their capacity to offer help yeah right? so my guess is a lot of people say my dms are always open but then once someone dms them might not be in a position to know how to handle that right <laughs> yeah um, and so when you offer help you need to make sure that you're, you're putting something on yourself that you need to make sure you're prepared for
2: yeah because heaven forbid someone messages you and be like i'm on a bridge and i have no hope And you're my final shot. Like what? No, (laughs) no, that's not good for them. It's not good for you. It's not good for like, what a way to get two people in a traumatic situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Well, it goes back to what you said at the very beginning just about like um, uh, learning these tools and this language is helpful at whatever step you're in, either as someone who's suffering or recovering or coping. Or someone who is helping or teaching. Wherever you are, you're always learning.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think if you do notice a person is off, it is perfectly valid. If you have, if you're, again, play the game and you'll get it. If you're like a two or a three. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's just the words I use. Which is another reason why you, I need you're to just make this making game. hype. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another reason why I need to make this game is because then when I speak, people will understand what the hell I'm talking about when I
4: talk
0: about these people. It sounds like a very useful framework. I mean, like we're talking about like uh, outsourcing some things so your brain can focus on what you think is most important. Frameworks are a great way to do that. Like, right. you know, like being able to put a name to a mental process or something, you know, being able to put numbers to something that maybe was really fuzzy before. It may not be 100% accurate, but, it you know, if it helps you navigate the world a little better, then it's a step in the right direction.
2: Exactly. I explained my game to um, one of the breakout rooms at Gig, and the one of the people started using that, like, just without me prompting her. I was like, okay, so let me tell you a story. So I was talking to this person, they're like a two and a half. And I was like, someone uses the word just like me. I get this. <laughs> <laughs> it works. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so... <laughs> What were we talking about?
0: <laughs> well, we were I talking think, about you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think we made a full
0: circle back to your game, but yeah. actually... Yeah.
2: <laughs> Maybe I'm better at promoting what I think. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, let's do some of that. So um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, we mentioned, you know, you mentioned your Twitch stream. I'm not sure if we decided we were going to cut that section or not. Now I'm kind of leaning towards <laughs> keeping it in, in all it's awkward glory. Uh, but... Where can, you know, where can people find you on the internet? Where can they follow your work and, and donate to your Patreon and come to your Twitch book hour?
2: (laughs) So we are Team Toad House. You can Google Team Toad House and hopefully after all the work I put into that SEO, we pop up. um i'm tybowai on twitter so that's t-y-b-a-w-a-i it's an acronym for a poem i'm the only one who knows the poem it's too embarrassing i will bring that secret to my grave but that's what my name is online (laughs) and um our twitch is also team toad house so if you want so we have cozy streams right they're basically like Low key, lo-fi hip hop vibes. We play indie games that usually have some sort of self-care, mental health type of a situation. We're a very like open, vulnerable community. Which, like I said, none of us are therapists. And if you treat it like a diary or like a therapist session, I will talk with you privately and give you a warning. Some people have done that, and that's how we handled it. So that fair warning, but it is a community of people who are very okay with vulnerability and are super supportive. We have this thing called Toad Support Toads. So we're in the Toad House and the people in the Toad House have called themselves Toads. And so what we do is Toad Support Toads can be anything from if a person has a show or a podcast or a stream, we all like go in and hype them up It could be that we play each other's games. They play tested Call Me Sarah back when it was a narrative adventure game before we switched to visual novel and gave me a whole bunch of notes. It's just the whole community is based on supporting each other and understanding that life is very hard. It's not a Pollyanna-like self-care is great. It's, It's a very realistic life is very, very hard, but it is still worth living. And when you forget, Come to us and we'll remind you why. It's
3: great. It's beautiful. I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for being on our show.
2: (laughs) My pleasure.
0: (laughs) That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's interview and topics and streams and toads. If you like this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club/feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at nicegamesclub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and John Lewis at Comic Con.
1: If you don't know that story, it's so cool. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta find. That. You gotta find
0: it. And you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics,
1: or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to
0: play nice and make nice.
1: All right, that's it.
2: Oh, that's such a lovely outro. Thank you, Alana.
1: This is very, very fun. I, yeah, I feel like we could have gone on for like another hour. There was so much there.
4: Like i I think we I think we hit the big ones, but like I was thinking like, oh are we gonna cover it all?